0: there, you're listening to the My Sleeping Baby Podcast, which is all about baby and child sleep. I'm so excited to teach you how you can get your little one sleeping so that you can sleep too and enjoy parenthood to its fullest. I'm Eva Klein, your resident sleep expert, mom of three, founder of the Sleep Bible online coaching program, and lover of all things sleep and motherhood. If you're looking for tangible solutions for your little one's sleep woes, or you simply want to learn more, this podcast is for you. For more information, check out mysleepingbaby.com and you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at mysleepingbaby. Okay, Trish, thank you so much for being here today on the My Sleeping Baby podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I am so excited to be here. We've been trying for a minute. Yes, and we were finally <laughs> able to connect yeah. and make this recording happen, um, which I'm excited about because I know that my people are going to want to hear from you. So, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Yeah, so my name is Trish. I am a mama of seven
1: and a very long time labor and delivery nurse. I, um, for most of my career, I did travel nursing at some of the top facilities in the U.S. But uh, about, I don't know, five years ago, gosh, may have been longer now. It's 2017. Do some math. I really felt driven to figure out how I could educate women before they step foot into the labor and delivery room, because I am definitely passionate about birth for sure. That's my calling and my gift. But I'm also passionate about education. And throughout my career, I was seeing things very consistent with women who were not educated when they came into the labor room. And that lack of knowledge led to a lot of decisions that I knew they were going to regret regret or question. And so in 2017, I started my shop and my blog and then really started uh, working on the blog in 2018. And it took... And Mm -hmm. I realized really quickly that women are just as hungry for this knowledge and understanding of their rights and what is happening to me and why is that being offered? How can I say no? How can I say yes? And um, it just took off. So in 2019, I took it to Instagram where it exploded. And most people know me as labor nurse mama over on Instagram. So that's my story.
0: That's amazing. So right now, do you still work as a labor and delivery nurse or is this your full-time thing now?
1: So it's full-time thing now. However, my business has grown to a point where now I actually have a team. And so I have more free time than I did when it was just little me. And so I am thinking about taking a PRM because like I said, like birth is my calling. Like I did Mm -hmm. not go to nursing school to be a nurse. I went to nursing school to be a labor and delivery nurse. And so I really miss that, um, that patient care. Although I've jokingly said I should just be like a once a month free doula or something like that, because (laughs) I love birth so much, you know?
0: Yeah. And you know what? I can totally relate to the... What you were describing about moms just being thirsty for knowledge and understanding so that they can empower themselves. You know, I had my first baby in 2011, and I think the biggest mistake that I made was not empowering myself and putting all my trust into my medical team, you know, which at that Mm -hmm. point was my midwife, especially since, you know, and, and this is nothing against, um, my, the, my midwives. And later on, it was a doctor that I was transferred to, to oversee my care. It's just that at the end of the day, for you to be able to be your best advocate, you still need to know what's going on and need That's to know right. what your options are. And sometimes when you put too much trust, then it can backfire, you know, the other way. So yeah. I, I, it's, and it's not that we're now going to replace the needs of doctors and midwives, but rather it's just to be able to empower ourselves with with enough enough knowledge and know-how to be able to actually make an informed decision and be able to have proper discussions with our medical providers so that you feel comfortable with the decisions that you're making, right? right? And- yeah, and I
1: I think it's important to note that, um, and we're going to talk about the best ways to repair for birth, but I think it's important to note that it is a business. This is mm-hmm. a business, and hospitals and providers... <coughs> are doing it for a business. And so you to to wing your birth or to completely put your trust into another person Mm -hmm. because your provider is a person. And as people, we have personal preferences. As people in our career, we have ways that we do things. And and it may not be like it's a bad thing, like they're trying to do a bad thing, but it may not be what's best. For you, correct, not, not necessarily harming you, yeah, but not best for you. And so, I think to go in blindly thinking that your provider or your epidural or the facility is going to do all they need to do and you yeah. don't have to do anything is really not wise. Right.
0: No, I agree. And even though, you know, as my listeners know, I'm based in Canada. And so technically, like our healthcare system is not privatized. So it might not be a, an actual business per se, you know, in terms of what you were saying, I think everything else still applies across yeah. the board. Um, right. in you know, just because our hospitals here are publicly funded, it doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't systems in place, and easier ways for professionals to do things that, you know, might not be what is best for for you in that moment, you know, yeah. regardless of whether or not it's a public hospital or a private hospital. So let's, let's delve right in, you know, it's 2022, you know, the day that we're recording this anyways. Um, And birth has, I'm sure changed quite a bit, you know, the landscape over the last number of years that you've been in this industry. Oh, yeah. So what would you say are your top three biggest tips for expecting moms who are, you know, going to have a baby in either 2022 or 2023?
1: Yeah. So that it's such a great uh, question because I feel like the things that I recommend really are like interwoven. Um, I think the very first thing that you have to do is wisely choose your provider. Mm -hmm. And I know, so, you know, inside of my birth courses, my, we have a team doula who is also from Canada. So Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot when we, we did a podcast on my podcast with her. And it was literally like the shock factor to find out, like, just there's, you guys have a lot of things that are much better than things that we may have. Right. but the majority of my listeners are in the U S so choosing mm-hmm. your provider can make or break your experience. So I know in yeah. Canada, it's a tad different mm-hmm. and you guys have options for home births and you know, right. different things. So, mm-hmm. so keep that in mind. I'm speaking more from a U.S. type of yeah. mindset, but that this is one of the top, most vulnerable, intimate life-changing moments. And you own that room. It's your birth.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: and no matter where we are to the provider, it's another day at work and it's not life-changing for them, but it is life-changing for you. And I feel like it's just like choosing the people who are going to represent you in your wedding, like your bridal party.
0: Mm -hmm. You don't
1: want to have a negative Nancy or someone who is going to challenge everything you say or make you feel like you're not a part of the decision-making process so i think choosing a provider is very important and there should be like i recommend here i i don't know exactly the process for you guys but i recommend that you choose them through like an interview process Mm -hmm. but also starting with maybe local moms groups on facebook or you know somewhere that you can get real opinions about those providers so that when you start the process of choosing your provider, it's more like an interview. And if you yeah. start out interviewing them, then you're showing that you are, have an investment and you realize that your decision making part of the birth is priority. And so I think it just sets it up. I'm not talking about like that first visit where you're like legs up in stirrups, getting a pap smear, like sitting yeah. across from a desk as two adult people. Mm-hmm. And are hiring them. And so I think that is my number one tip. Now, the problem with that is that for a lot of first time moms, they don't know what they don't know. Of course. So when you're in these mom groups and when you're investigating providers, it's really hard to know, like, what do I value in my birth journey? What is important to me during my delivery what is am I in alignment with them if you don't know what you don't know? So mm-hmm. that's where you have to do a little bit of investigating. And you know, I love I have students that join Calm Labor, Confident Birth, and the VBAC lab while they're trying to conceive. I mean, I have one student right now, she's not even at the point of trying to conceive her second baby, but she wants to be so empowered that even the choice of her provider is based by her knowledge, you know, and so right. It, that's a hard one. Like, how do you know what you want in a provider if you don't know anything about birth? So right. sometimes it would, you know, I would say like a lot of my followers on Instagram are not yet trying. So they're learning a lot about what they can say no and yes to. I think mm-hmm. the women having babies now compared to when I became a labor nurse, which I've been a labor nurse for, you know, since 2006. So mm-hmm the landscape has changed tremendously. Mm-hmm. And I think that more power to you guys, the people having babies right now have a lot more knowledge than, than I did when probably I thanks to
0: the internet, I'm assuming yes, right? and social
1: media yeah. and just to understand. I mean, I think of my 17 year old daughter and she's a spitfire. Like she is I just look at her and I think, what a strong woman she's going to be because she understands her power and her rights and there is mm-hmm. no way that someone's going to bully her during her birth. I will not let that happen. But mm-hmm. I think in general, women who are, you know, childbearing age are seeking out knowledge and knowledge is power. But I, mm-hmm. I take it a step further. Knowledge is power if you use it. Yes. So right. you have to have the courage to speak up. And I think you and I are both outspoken. Like, I don't think we have, like, I've never been one to bulk at speaking
0: up, but absolutely, I think I'm,
1: empowering them to be able to do that is important too.
0: Right. I'm so curious. When you say that, you know, the landscape has has changed tremendously, you know, since you started doing this in 2006, well, what specifically are you referring to? Is it is it the fact that, women are coming in to pregnancy and their births that much more knowledgeable because of the internet and social media and so they have more questions, more feedback, ideas than maybe someone who was giving birth in the pre-internet age. So that's there there's a lot of aspects of this. So when I first
1: became a labor and delivery nurse, providers had this there was much more this sense of a doctor is a god, he can yeah. do whatever he wants, and there was no accountability. So I think internet and social media now holds them to accountability mm-hmm. because you can bet your bottom dollar if you deliver a twenty-two year old that you piss off, they're gonna blast it on the internet.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: now all back when I first started, women were sort of isolated in their experience. Because even now, still to this day, if you tell a friend or a family member, a lot of this is something that really drives me crazy. But a lot of times, when birth trauma happens and a woman shares her feelings, she's told things like, "Well, at least you're healthy. Baby's good. Like, just be thankful that being yeah. terrible happened, even though she didn't get the birth experience she wanted, or she right. felt like." She felt like she was bullied or coerced into decisions that she didn't agree with. But now you post that and the education that, you know, in just this this day and age, people are going to validate that. And through validation, they're going to feel empowered to speak up and make
0: change. And I think that's really, really important. Right. That's huge. Because I, I do think that, you know, that whole mindset of like, well, it could have been worse. So be grateful that it could have, it, it wasn't worse than that is such a slippery slope because, you know, technically then that just means that you can't, um, you can't suffer from any challenge of any magnitude and, you And feel it because no matter what, there's always going to be somebody that has it worse than you. So just always, always, always be grateful. And while gratitude is an incredibly important and, you know, wonderful trait to have, it shouldn't also involve invalidating whatever trauma you did experience, even if somebody had had something worse than you. No matter what, there's always going to be somebody somebody that has a worse outcome or a worse situation or a worse, you know, life experience than you. And by no means should that mean that, yeah, that suddenly, you know, your challenge is not something that's worth struggling over. And, and you're right. And I think that that mindset has, has, more or less shifted away that people are able to get the validation that they need, even if it could have been worse.
1: I think that it has shifted away in the online space, but I think there's still a disconnect and face-to-face with people that know you and in your life. And especially with the older generation that speak into these girls who have just had a baby. And, you know, like my generation and the older generation than myself, We were sort of taught to just be thankful and shut up. And yeah. I quit complaining. Yeah, quit complaining, be grateful. Yeah. No big deal. Like baby's healthy, you're healthy. Okay, so what that you didn't get this. And you know, and I think you're right. Like one thing the one of the reasons my birth courses were born was because of my DMs. I would get hundreds of DMs a day Mm -hmm. from women who had no safe space to share with what happened. And they felt like, and even when I first started posting about birth trauma, I would get knocked on my butt by people saying that birth trauma is when a catastrophic event happens. And that is not true. Yeah. It's this person's perception of their birth experience. Yes. You cannot say that they were not traumatized if they were like only they can. And so we've created inside of our birth courses, my birth courses come with a ton of support I do weekly uh, coaching with these girls. We do like we meet via Zoom and my team doula and I, and then we have like a labor bat signal at the end of their pregnancy. Once they hit 37 weeks, they have access to me and my my doula. And the reason we are doing that is because those feelings that you're walking through and those are valid and you should be allowed to experience them, be in them and mm-hmm. then heal from them. But yeah. The only way someone can heal from their trauma or their feelings of an experience is to be allowed a safe space to speak about it. Right. And I, you know, when my girls, uh, will after you know, we have the labor bat signal going and then always invariably they're silent.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they learn are like, they had to have the baby. They had the baby, like the baby's here. Like, where are they? Right. You know? And then they'll come back and be like, whatever their birth story. And so if they come back and, you know, last time we talked to them, they were eight centimeters, like, you know, in transition, and then they come back, you know, four or five hours later and say that they ended up having an emergency C-section or they ended up having to have a vacuum or what whatever it is, or, mm-hmm. or I ended up getting the epidural and they feel this guilt and this, mm-hmm. like, my birth story wasn't how I wanted. We will be like, that sucks, man. I'm so sorry. Like, yeah you know, and like- yeah. Validate it with them because there's so much power in that and giving them a safe opportunity to speak about that, which we have gotten way off tangent of
0: preparing for birth,
1: but this is super
0: important. It all connects to your provider. Right, yeah. because what the there are some providers out there um, where you do a little bit of research and you speak to people who have used them, and they might tell you, oh yeah, that that OB you know only likes to do things this way, and you know doesn't like VBACs, and is very quick to do C sections, and is very quick to do you know XYZ, and um, and then doing that basic research can then allow you to avoid those types of outcomes that, you know, you might not want. I want to say something really, really quickly because, you know, about what you were saying about trauma, right? Because I think that I am, I am not a therapist, but I have a client who is, and she enlightened me um, to the term small T trauma, right? So there are big T traumas and there are small T traumas. In other words, when we, I feel like it's easy for someone to hear you know, someone talk about their traumatic birth where, you know, something happened and it landed in an emergency C-section and it wasn't what they wanted. You know, it's easy for someone to say, that's not a trauma. It's not like you were fighting in Afghanistan, you know, and yeah. now, and you're a war veteran and, you know, and now you have you PT- severe PTSD. No one is saying that all traumas are of the same magnitude, right? And so, you know, to simplify things, she says there are big T traumas and there are little T traumas, but the little T traumas, are still worth talking about and still worth validating while at the same time recognizing it's not the same thing as fighting in Afghanistan, but it's still a trauma regardless.
1: Well, and I think it's important to note that our body reacts to fear in the same way. Right. Whether you're in Afghanistan or suddenly you're laying naked and people are running around and you're not sure if your baby's going to live. Correct. Right. So I would say our system reacts and she's gone through that. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, but at the same time, tell your system that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear that.
1: The triggers that happen. And that's one thing. So you said about VBACs and a lot of people are like, what the hell is a VBAC? Yeah. Um, a VBAC is a vaginal birth after cesarean. So part of the VBAC lab, which is our other, we have two signature courses. And I did that on purpose because I didn't want just a module slapped onto my birth course about VBACs. I wanted the VBAC lab to be infused with information that these moms needed because they are walking a slippery rope with being supported. They have so many more roadblocks. They have so many more fears and they've been Mm -hmm. there. They've done that. They know what the lack of education can do. They know what choosing the wrong provider can do. They know what it's like to put your hands into the team and think, oh, they'll make all the right decisions for me, whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's a completely different, my, my prayer is I keep the girls in calm labor out of the VBAC lab, you know? So, Mm -hmm. but it is for women who are prepping for a vaginal delivery after cesarean and, part of that when i created that was adding a entire module on birth trauma and debriefing your birth and navigating your first birth story so in light of that i realized how powerful that was i have a ton of students in calm labor who have already had babies i have students like on their fourth and fifth baby and they're there because of they realized how powerful and they want this birth to be redemptive and different. Mm -hmm. And so we added the trauma module to the end of calm labor. That way, once they're done with their birth, they can walk through it and figure out those triggers and figure out like, maybe this could have gone differently and let that go there at the door so that when they move forward into their next pregnancy, they're not going into it with fear and apprehension, but with more knowledge and more power and knowing what they would do differently. You know, so I think it's really important that um, women are given the space and the knowledge that they don't have to stuff this. They don't have to like stuff it down and worry. But again, it goes all the way back to choosing the right provider and the right people to be in your birth suite. So I always tell my girls like, you know, of course, when I launched my birth courses, it was April of 2020. Right. So a lot of what I taught them in my birth course was pertaining to how it's always been, which it used to always be women could have four other people inside their birth suite. Now I look at that and think really, like, really, should you have your partner and four other people in your birth suite? Probably not. Right. But, um, they had that option and I'm sure at some point we might go to some sort of option about that.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: Right. Um, that being said, If you have Aunt Sally who is insisting on being in your room and you're too scared to speak up, I want you to really think about this is the most vulnerable experience an intimate experience and you have every right to create the scene you want and Mm -hmm. if aunt sally you know is saying things like you can't even get your teeth worked on without crying you're gonna like all these things yeah that's negativity that's coming into your birth room and you need to nip it in the bud so i always tell my girls like if you're hesitant then try out something like hey i know like if it's your mother-in-law and trust me I know this is difficult, but if it's your mother-in-law who wants to be there or your mom and you say something like, you know, I just want to give you a heads up that my partner and I are still trying to debate like what we want our birth room to be like And whether we just want it to be us or what have you, I know you have your heart set on being there, but I just want to give you a heads up and do this early. Yeah. Her reaction is really rude and really condescending. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, you probably shouldn't have her in there because it's not about her at all. No. It is entirely about you. Yeah. And if your partner's not supporting you in that, then I would just keep speaking up because it, it should be about her. It's her. I tell them they are the birth queen and it's their, their, their throne and their, their inner sanctum. So. Right. 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 That's really important.
0: Agree. Agree with all of that because the energy that those people bring into the room can really impact the overall experience maybe the decisions that you end up making if you're getting Mm -hmm. pressured to do something that you might not necessarily want to do or vice versa um that's that's going to hinder your overall experience and you're not going to want to look back and say oh drat yeah I really shouldn't have had aunt sally in my room after all yeah and
1: and just know that's okay if they get offended they'll get over it they'll get over it. and you know I tell I tell this to my kids like just in parenting like when they're like trying to say, I'm making a bad decision or whatever, I'm like, okay, you're right. And I have the right to make a bad decision and learn from it. And if I'm wrong, I'll come back and apologize. And so right. I think the same thing. And I think that I'm sure that goes into your space as well is during that immediate postpartum period in those early days of having a baby. Mm-hmm you can say no to visitors. like it's Correct. Okay, and it's not going to kill Correct. somebody to see baby on day four instead of day one. Yes. You know, yes, yeah, so.
0: absolutely. So yes, choose the right provider. If yes. only in the States, the right provider was always covered by your insurance plan, which yeah. <laughs> I recognize as a whole other can of worms that we won't bother yeah. opening up. But I have a good friend who's expecting uh, her second baby in New York. And she, there's no, she wanted a midwife and there's no midwifery clinic within the near vicinity that is covered by her her insurance. And so Mm. she's with, uh, an OB and it's not a good fit. And so, yes, thankfully we don't have that problem here in Canada, in Ontario, you know, where I live, you want to go with a midwife. If they have space, they will take you. Um, there's no, no insurance insured versus uninsured situation, but I, I digress there. Okay. Tip number two, biggest piece of advice for, you know, expecting parents, in 2022, 2023?
1: I mean, it's going to be the biggest one of all of what I say is taking a birth class. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know I'm saying that, and I have a birth class. And of course, I want you to choose mine, but you need to take a birth class because everything else hinges on that. And I tell, I, I equate that to, if you were planning a big vacation, let's say for four years, you've been planning to go to the Middle East or to Asia or another country where they don't speak English and you don't really necessarily know the culture you are going to invest in that. It's an investment Mm -hmm. and you're going to make plans. You're going to study the culture. You're not going to wing anything. You're not going to like, oh, my trip is here. I'm going to get on the plane and I'm going to land and then I'm going to choose where I stay. And then I'm going to choose how I get to where I stay. And then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to eat and where I'm going next and how I'm traveling around the country or whatever. No, you're going to do a lot of research. You're going to do your due diligence. Yeah. Going into a birth, twofold, your first baby, more than likely for most of us, it's the first time we've ever been a hospital patient. If you're doing it in the hospital, Mm -hmm. that in itself is a learning curve, which can create fear and anxiety and fear and anxiety destroys your birth. Like the most, the more you can wipe out beforehand, the better. Mm -hmm. So taking a birth class that teaches you what's happening inside you, around you, the choices you can make, what are these interventions? I mean, thank God we have interventions, they save lives. But when are they being used out of convenience? When is it mm-hmm. curiosity? Like, when is it for someone else's convenience? Yeah. You know, if it's something you're choosing for your convenience, totally different story. Mm-hmm. So, but if it's for someone else's, you need to recognize that and you need to recognize, like, when is this an emergent situation? And then going back to choosing the right provider when there is something, because there's gonna be some weird wackadoodle thing that might happen during birth that you weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. Now I hear 100% from my students, like they there was nothing that surprised them. Right. And so that in itself surprises, even if they're good surprises, can shock you a little and change the course. So what, what we teach our students is that your birth is like a birth map. It's not exactly Mm -hmm. a birth plan. And the exotic vacation, this big vacation you plan for is the baby. Right. And so we learn all the different avenues so that if you get to one, you know, let's say just like if you were going on a trip, like we just went to Europe uh, in March If we had woken up, we had an Uber scheduled. If the Uber hadn't shown up, we wouldn't have been like, well, screw it all. We're not going now. Yeah. No, we have a second plan. You know, we know like, oh, wait, that road is blocked. Let's go to the right. So they need to know the different avenues that they can turn and go to and Mm -hmm. the choices they have. They need to know like what, you know, I, I always during my classes, I'll be like, do you know what an FSE is? because we use them and and they're like, what the hell is an FSC? Well, that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying to you because everything we're saying is a different language. And mm-hmm. I want you to understand, which for those of you who are like, what is an FSC? It's a fetal scalp electrode, yeah. the internal monitor where we monitor the baby's heart rate and it's very invasive. And so a lot of times over the course of my career, the majority of my time, I've had a provider come in very like non-informative, like you know, uh, oh, you know, we're not really tracing the baby. We need to put in the the internal monitor, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they don't explain like what is happening and they don't explain like why are we using this? They don't explain what are the alternatives. And so I think it's really important to have a baseline knowledge so you can write, ask the right questions. You can ask when something else is available. Mm -hmm. And that all goes back to education because everything I say to you, everything your provider says to you is going to be like,
0: yeah, yeah, for you sure. Don't
1: know. So, yeah. and, and I, you don't know what you don't know. So right. my biggest tip on choosing a birth class is, and this is why I do every couple months we do, I was telling you before the fearless birth experience mm-hmm. where I come in, I live stream into the Facebook group and I teach five, you know, little classes. Um, and the reason I do that is because whoever you take your birth class from, you're going to be spending some time with them. and you know, you, for those of you doing mine, you're going to hear my voice a lot. And I, you know, my way of doing things. And, um, so, you know, testing out, like looking for what, what might resonate with you and what connect with you. Cause again, you're inviting me into your birth story, which is such an honor. So right. one thing I 100% say, don't do, yeah. don't Yeah. use your primary education as a hospital provided course. And yeah. I can tell you this from years of experience. And I was offered one time, asked if I would be their childbirth educator for their class. Once I looked over the cur- curriculum, I was like, hell to the no. No, because it's no. all leaning towards hospital policy. Which yeah. Hospital policy is not your golden rule. You don't have to do it just because it's their policy. Yeah. Created it to protect them.
0: Right. You know, so that's so. in essence, what a hospital birth course is is sort of educating you on how they do things
1: and what they want right. Yes, right, right, right. yeah. And what they want most is for that bed to be emptied. <laughs>
0: And yeah. They know, want to get you out of there as quickly as yeah. possible so that they yeah. can get, you know, yeah. another patient in, which yeah. might not be in your best interest, mm-hmm. you know, now, in, if, specifically. They're choosing,
1: if they're choosing a home birth or they're in a freestanding birth center or something like that, that provides um, education. Sometimes those are, are fine as well. Mm-hmm. I also say find one that provides community. There's so many different options nowadays And, you know, I know like we provide a community and our girls, they pretty much stick around. Like last night I had uh, my, we do a weekly, we call it the happy hour, which usually I'm the only one drinking wine, (laughs) unless it's one of my trying to conceive girls or one of my girls that are like eight months postpartum or what have you. But uh, we will hang out. And usually like last night I had, you know, like 40 mamas on, we're on zoom some of them open their cameras, some don't. Um, and I had a student in the Middle East. I had a student mm-hmm. in Japan. I, you know, like, and we're all over the world. I've got mama's nursing newborns. I had one mom that was two days postpartum. I had one that was wow. 40 days postpartum. And we have a community where we come alongside each other. And some of these girls have connected outside of the group and become friends. One of the outside of birth, And being a mom, my oldest is 32. I had him very young. My youngest is seven. I had him very old. Um, (laughs) But one thing I can tell you 100% that has been the most powerful thing in my journey as a mother is having other moms that I trusted Mm -hmm. and that I could lean into and who gave me like real, like nitty gritty wisdom and allowed me to make my mistakes and learn from them and to learn from theirs and get that you know, so that's one reason I am a people person and Mm -hmm. not being able to be bedside. Like I needed to have that connection with my girls. I love my mamas. I'm doing a live today with one of my mamas. Um, so having that relationship is really important to me and throughout my life as a mom, like relationship is so important. So I would say, try to choose a birth class that provides a community that you have access. I know I, I had, I took Bradley with me, baby number four I took a Bradley class and the provide the teacher did give us access however she was like militant Mm -hmm. in choices and I still felt like I was getting from her what I the reason I came to her to be to have knowledge
0: Mm -hmm. I was still
1: getting her choices
0: Right. And so So this is the best way to be giving birth. These are the choices you should be making. This is where you should be having your baby. This is how you should be having your baby. Oh my Yeah, that defeats the purpose.
1: Yeah. And so one of my students said it perfectly that I lay it out like a buffet or a smorgasbord and then you choose what's best for you. So like I said before, I teach them nothing out of convenience or curiosity unless it's yours. Mm -hmm. If you're curious to what your dilated, girl, get a cervical exam. But if they are- say hell no. Yeah. You, if, you know, I've had tons of military wives, if your husband's only going to be home during week 39 and 40, and you want to get induced because you want your partner there, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Your provider's going out of town and once you induce so he can be there, then don't do it. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just, again, choosing, you know, do your, this, your birth is, you will never birth this baby again, this baby, Mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. So it is an investment and I will 100% say from being the labor nurse and crying on the way home, because I, I could not believe this first time mom was taken back to the OR and I know damn well that it was so he, you know, this provider could go home and go to a baseball game and, and she doesn't know that. And I'm crying on the way home. I can 100% say Invest in a birth class before you invest in the top dollar stroller, take that extra yes. 150 off of getting the best stroller out there mm-hmm. because if you're pushing this baby and a thousand dollar stroller and you're traumatized, yeah, you don't want that. No, so- no, no.
0: I, I agree. And I can't agree with you more specifically about ensuring that when you go with a birth class, that you're not going with a class that's going to preach one philosophy, one way of doing things. You know, the most ideal way to give birth without an epidural in your home, in a bathtub and anything less than that is down the ladder, down that yeah, hierarchy of ideals. That's going to cause fear and anxiety, which is right. going to destroy her birth.
1: Right. Like for some right. people, the thought of delivering in their own bathtub in their
0: home is not okay. No, they would never even dream of it. And then the last thing that you would want is to then feel lesser than because you're delivering, you're choosing to deliver in a hospital with an epidural. Oh, she's one of those. Like you, that's, that's not- you don't have to be a hero and go unmedicated. Right, right, (laughs) exactly. It's interesting because recently, I don't know if this was an issue in the States, but um, a little while ago, I can't exactly remember when, um, I guess there were, some some medical supply the chain issues shortage. here the epi- did you guys yeah, have the epidural too. shortage here is yeah
1: there as well yeah so well, i think the reason that it came it came from a facility in Ohio. oh okay do we get canada gets the up ep- or we get so. our epidurals yeah. from the states yeah i okay. mean i don't know like there, there's been some weird shortages in my yeah. lifetime as a, a labor and delivery nurse like who who knew that iv bags and iv tubing came from puerto rico do you remember, I don't know if you knew this, but no. in uh, 2017, after Irma and Puerto Rico got wiped out, we had IV shortage, <laughs> like oh my a lot of the medication bags and the IV stuff and the, like antibiotics came from Puerto Rico, right. the
0: entire world was affected by that so yeah. yeah yeah back to the epidural shortage right yeah. right right so it was fascinating on. you know so obviously on my Facebook news feed these news stories would pop up um you know about the epidural shortage and then seeing the comments you know from just regular members of the public just to me reinforces how important it is to find a course that is going to, respect your choices and simply empower you with what the choices are out there, as opposed to making it seem like there is one choice that is most ideal. Because while there were tons of comments talking about how horrible the epidural shortage was, you obviously have your people saying something along the lines of, well, I (laughs) had six babies completely naturally. So maybe all these moms can just do that as well. Or, or we, We've been delivering babies naturally for thousands of years, and it's only so the last few decades yeah. that you know suddenly we need epidurals. Let them deliver the yeah. way that they've been doing since the dawn of time, and of course, it's uh, there's so much to unpack there. Like they also, yeah, they also
1: did surgeries on their camp. Table without anesthesia.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of things that you know we did back in the day that we don't do no today. And this is coming very obvious
1: reasons. I've had funny that you said six. I've had six unmedicated deliveries, but Mm -hmm. it was my choice. Yes, and I love it. I love it. But I tell my girls all the time, there is literally nothing worse than a labor patient who thought her epidural was going to be the end all of all things. And she yes. ends up feeling pain. Yeah. So what I teach my girls is no matter what your pain management plan is, I teach them both
0: mm-hmm. because I
1: also on the flip side, have my girls who are dead set on going unmedicated mm-hmm. and they end up choosing an epidural, which is their choice. And that is fine. But I want them to be prepared because if you're listening right now, the epidural shortage well, first of all, it was the, the kit that we used to place it. Mm-hmm. So they were makeshifting kits and it, oh, and it was all fine. But um, I did sell a lot. I have a six pack uh, workshop that we sell very low priced and it comes from my fearless birth experiences and, or no five pack. And inside that class, we just briefly, it's like a little foundation of education, which I've had a lot of my mamas go on to birth with just that. Mm -hmm. It's not everything. And I trust me when I say it's not everything, but we sold a lot of those because of the epidural shortage, because I teach a lot about where labor pain comes from. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be afraid what fear does to it and being prepared because epidurals are not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you again, there is nothing worse than a mama who comes through the door at two centimeters and is like, I'm going to get my epidural and go to sleep. And mm-hmm. then she has to wait for two hours because her provider hasn't given an order to say it's okay for her to get it because he has to order or she has to order it. You can't just get it because you want it. Yeah. They have to say, okay, is this, you know, parameters? Yeah. And then we have to wait for your labs. So what if your platelets come back and they're too low? Mm-hmm. Or what if it's a full moon and six other moms are ahead of you and you have to wait yeah. hours for another yes. girl? You're going to have to cope with pain in some form or fashion. So you yes. better have your tool bag filled, girl. Yeah. Not want to have to figure it out on the fly
0: right or or speaking from experience what if it's your second baby and your labor's really really fast and by the time you get to the hospital you are eight centimeters and it's a two-hour wait to get an epidural and you have your baby an hour 15 minutes later
1: and there's a really ignorant person in the waiting room not letting you through the doors yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell that story. I'll tell that story. You have to come to my podcast to hear that story. Yes. It's I know. Really I just, funny. Yeah. Well, you, you got to yeah. hop on, hop on hers, but yes, that was, that was, that was good, good times. Namely yeah. that. Yeah. You might not forget having to wait two hours for your epidural. Right. What about the possibility of not being able to get your epidural at all? Yeah. Um, which yeah, that was inherently traumatic for me the entire. Yeah. Ordeal. And, and, and I've, I've done it. I mean, the women who create birth
1: horror stories are nine times out of 10, the women who thought that they they would get an epidural when they want it and wouldn't have to deal with labor pain. Yeah, And then they're going to scare every other woman in the world because not because labor pain is the worst thing in the world, but because they didn't have any coping tools. So I teach all my girls coping tools and how to understand labor pain and one of my most popular classes in that bundle is my labor pain, uh, where I break it down mm-hmm. and I have a very unique flip on labor pain and trying to allow them to understand it. And I would say that 90% of my girls that come to that class leave with a much different understanding. I can't tell you how many of them leave saying, oh, well, if I have to go on medicated, then all right, I can do it. Yeah, But yeah. again, Whether you're going unmedicated and everyone in your life is saying, oh, you don't have to be a hero or you want an epidural and everyone in your life is like, why would you not want to experience the natural process of birth? It's your choice. Yeah. It's your choice. Absolutely. So being empowered in that. And I always, we, I also teach my, my students and I do this during every fearless birth experience, because if someone comes along and doesn't take the next step with me, I want them to leave knowing that they have the power to speak up and at least have a dialogue about what they want and then yes. have a non emotional conversation with their provider cuz that's really important um, right you know and right. there's a lot of coercion and bullying at, at least in the US when it comes to providers and what they want for your birth and what yeah. they will allow and what they won't allow and that's just bullshit it, right sorry, right really shouldn't be potty mouth on your but... no
0: that's okay that's okay <laughs> it's it's after it's after 12 o'clock so swear okay. me, that's fine yeah it gets okay. fired <laughs> up okay no Completely, completely, completely agree with, you know, every everything that you said, because, yeah, the epidural shortage, you're right. It just the 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 main problem there. And then the main problem with those, you know, smart alecky comments was that it it means that there was no choice for those moms who didn't who. Whose hospital didn't have an epidural because of the shortage, and they were they were given no choice but to have to go through that naturally. Which you know, for someone like me who's a redhead, and I didn't know this until I was pregnant with my third. Redheads experience pain, physical pain, more intensely than non-redheaded people. Well, I've Did not you know? heard that, but if no, you it's can a thing. Into- if it's you came into my thing.
1: room, I would have the postpartum hemorrhage kit on hand yeah, because yeah. redheads also bleed a lot.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. So I'll tell you, I'll, I'll I'll tell you this. So, you know, it was my midwife who was explaining that it's actually a known fact that, you know, redheads, when it comes to anesthesia and other, you know, pain relief um, methods that they, they respond weirdly to them and oftentimes need more because they feel oh, it. I more. must and be a redhead so- naturally. What's that? I must be a redhead naturally because I swear my
1: dentist has to practically knock me out to get me. Maybe. Because
0: I'll tell you, I I shared this with my husband because it felt so validating to hear that. Like, is that why that natural birth that I had with my second um, accidental natural birth was so like 12 out of 10 painful? And my husband's going like, no, nah, I don't believe it. No, nah, that's just a bunch of, you know, like hocus pocus and, you know, stuff. And it happens to be, I have a first cousin who's an anesthesiologist. And my husband says to me, he goes, call Daryl call Daryl and ask him if there is any difference with, uh, with redheads. And I said, okay, I'll try calling him. I'll see. Maybe he won't answer because he's working. Daryl, the anesthesiologist answers. Yes. I guess I happened to catch him. I put him on speakerphone and my husband's like, don't lead him. Don't, don't ask a leading question here. So I purposely, I'm a lawyer by training. Telling so I, know the attorney that. I was
1: totally fine. thinking that. <laughs> and so I
0: said, no, no, no. So I purposely, I said, Daryl, I have a question for you. I said, when you walk into your OR, or you walk in, you know, to meet your patient who requires some level of anesthesia and you see that your patient is a redhead. Do you do anything differently? That was my question to him. And he immediately says, yeah, I jack them up with 20% more anesthetic. And I said, why? He goes, I don't know, because you redheads are crazy and for some reason require more anesthetic than the average person. And I can tell you the third time around when I had an epidural and it worked, I could feel 10 to 20 percent. The pain went down by about 80 percent, but I was still able to feel a good chunk of those contractions all th- straight through until the end. It did not, you know, knock me out completely. So yeah, there's that's a keep in mind. I know most people listening to this are not redheads because redheads only pertain to, you know, a very small portion of the population, yeah. but- As a redhead myself, I feel like I have to scream this from the rooftops because that is something to keep in the front of your mind when you are choosing, when you're making these types of choices, keep in mind that, yeah, if it legitimately feels a lot more painful for you because of how you are genetically wired. And by the way, there's all kinds of really interesting articles on the internet. If you read about it, Um, then that is something to consider as well. Yeah. Um, if you end up requiring an epidural. So anyways, I just wanted to get that off of my chest yeah. because um, it's it's something that I feel <laughs> very deeply, very, very, very deeply about. OK, tip number three for having a baby, for being pregnant and having a baby in 2022, 2023.
1: Well, the other aspect is preparing like we've talked about preparing the room. We've talked about preparing your mind, but you also have to prepare your body. And I think it's very important to, at the very least, take care of your body, which eating a healthy diet, uh, get up and move. And I am not a work, uh, a exercise person. Like I just naturally hate it, but mm-hmm. like, get up and take a walk, do something like commit to something, whether it's baby steps, like you're, you're taking a five minute walk every day until you graduate to a 10 minute walk every day or three times a week doing a 25 minute walk getting on the exercise ball, doing deep squats, doing all the things that you can prepare your pelvic floor, because birth is one of the biggest workouts you will ever do. Mm -hmm. And if you've now educated yourself and you understand your body and what is happening and that your uterus is a muscle and how to isolate that, how to relax your body, all of those things are really important. Preparing through breath work. Mm-hmm. Um, learning how the different movements you can do to get baby into proper alignment. You know, the fact is we could do nothing and our bodies know what to do, but how can mm-hmm. you work with your body to make it a better experience right. for you? And right. so I think preparing your body, like learning all the things, I tell my girls, like we teach, we have a whole module on this and we teach all the things you can do to get your cervix, you know, cause your, your uterus is a muscle. So how can we tone it? your pelvic floor is like the gateway to let it all, you know, let the baby out the door. So how can we prepare it? You've Mm -hmm. got the cervix, which needs to soften and open. And how can we prepare it? Yeah. But that the same time doing all the things, but also taking care of you, like going and doing something you enjoy, Um, resting, nurturing your body, like in ways that mean something to you, which might look different for you than for me, you know? So, We, um, we have a, a a third trimester class that we teach. And inside of it, we talk about creating a schedule for that third trimester because a a lot of moms hit third trimester and like, holy moly, this is real. Yeah. The baby is coming Yeah, and they start trying to do all the things and all this. So we try to say, okay, pick the things, make a schedule, but also schedule self-care And learn that now before your baby comes, because that is critical as a mom to remember Mm -hmm. who you are and remember to take care of you and to be you, the new you granted, because you are a new you, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that even goes into, you know, educating for when like, we have a newborn Academy, you have a a sleep program. And Mm -hmm. I tell my girls all the time, like, don't just prep for the birth and wing the rest because the birth is a few days max. Yes. Then you have your postpartum period, which lasts up to a year. Mm-hmm. So, being prepared for that, like, how am I going to take care of this little person? How am I going to get sleep? Yes. Which is like you and I were talking about that. I, I mean, sleep deprivation, there is a reason
0: they use it in prisoner of war camps. I, t- I tell that to my people all the time that I there's a it. reason why it's used as a form of torture because yes. it's effective.
1: It is horrific. And if mm-hmm. anything you can do to be prepared for that is really important as well. So, you know, preparing your body, preparing your mind uh, and, and and preparing your home, is yeah, important as well
0: i I wish someone had told me this when I was you know pregnant with my first because I did zero prep, like zero. I was finishing up. I was in my last year of law school, and I was literally studying to write the bar exam, and that's what my focus was, and I just figured I'm just gonna. I was flying by the seat of my pants and I just sort of was like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be go with the flow when it comes to this, because I'm naturally such a type A personality. I'm going to be type B when it comes to this sort of thing. And, um, and gosh, I. I wish I wish I was much more prepared because um, the outcome there it it was traumatic and uh, and I did end up with a baby in the NICU and there were complications and so many things that we you know mm-hmm. did not foresee ever happening. I, I could spoiler alert you know for those of you who you know I guess haven't heard this story. My my daughter's now 11. Everything is totally fine. She's a perfectly healthy. Um, Happy, sociable, eleven-year-old kid. Um, But when she was a few hours old, and you know, was we we did not know what the future was going to be with her, and it was pretty darn frightening, as well as everything leading up to that point. And flying by the seat of my pants was not the right strategy, (laughs) I can tell you. You know, after the fact, even if things go completely one hundred percent smoothly, you still want to be prepared for all the various different routes that your birth can go. Um, it's one thing, you know, to think, okay, this is what my plan is going to be. As you said, I'm going to, you know, go into labor. I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to get my epidural. I'm going to take a nap and then I'm going to eat a popsicle and then I'm going to cough and the baby's going to come out and then I'll go home. Um, that could happen. It could, there's Maybe probably number
1: two. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's probably a thousand other, things, uh, other options um, that, you know, your birth could look like as well. And so being prepared so that you don't have any sort of surprise and you are able to sort of, you know, go with the flow in that sense. And then being able to make those educated decisions based on how your birth is going will make you feel so much more empowered as opposed to the way I felt where it was sort of like, oh, is this supposed to happen? Is this normal? What does this mean? Oh, they're they're saying they want me to take Pitocin because my labor isn't progressing. Yes. Is Does this mean something is wrong? Oh my God, is that bad? Is it dangerous? Should I wait? Should I ask them to hold off on the Pitocin for longer? I'm asking myself all these questions and I don't know the answers, no answers to any of yeah. them because yeah. all I knew leading up to my birth was what was in my law school textbooks. And that was basically about it. Yeah. And man, do I wish I knew even a little bit more about what could possibly happen and what my choices are throughout that whole ordeal.
1: Yeah. And I think that's important too, is that one of the things we've added to our birth course is what we call warning signs and roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And so if one of my moms is diagnosed with uh, gestational diabetes or preeclampsia or cholestasis or all the different things that literally slaps you in the face when Mm -hmm. you you go into a prenatal appointment thinking everything's fantastic and you leave with this diagnosis yeah it's like you have to be prepared and like you said like what is normal labor progression when is it necessary when is it not and why would I say no and like and just being able to ask like good open-ended questions and even asking your providers for studies to back up what they're saying to you
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's,
1: that's important. And and I'll tell you what happens a lot of times when my students do that is the providers like, well, it's your choice. Like, if you don't want to do that, it's fine. I'm just telling you from my experience, blah, 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 you know, when they, or if they say, you know, your, your
0: baby could die.
1: Well, what are the chances of that? And it's like 0.000000, yeah, exactly. you know, your it, baby
0: could die. The sky could also turn purple. Yeah. Like, what are the chances? Yes, it is an option, right? right? I mean, yeah. Babies
1: can die. You're right. But yeah what is the
0: legit chances of that? Like, what are you, why
1: are you using such coercive language? Yeah. And
0: then what's the risk? What are the risks that you're recommending me to take in the name of my baby, not dying. Um, and alternatives
1: to, well, yes. Okay. My baby could die. My baby could also die if I do what you're saying.
0: Yeah. That as well.
1: Um, yeah. So just being able to have like good dialogue with your provider and Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, we've covered a lot. (laughs) We have. Holy smokes. Well, this is... I tell you, I feel like I, I needed this podcast episode in, you know, 2010, 2011 to, you know, kick me in the butt when my approach was like, I don't need to know anything. I've got a, I've got a midwife. I trust her. I'm delivering in a good hospital. I'll be in good hands. Why, why do I need to know anything more than, yeah. you know, what my care provider is telling me? Um, and the answer is because you just, you just do. You do. Just trust me. Okay. Well,
1: again, you don't know what you don't know.
0: You don't know what you don't know. And And man, I did not know a lot. This is your
1: baby's birth. This is your birth. Yeah. This is the moment you become a mother and your baby is born into life. This is a significant event for your family. Yes. You should invest in it. And you should prepare for it. Don't swing mm-hmm. it. There is yes. nothing worse than unmet expectations. Yes.
0: And I feel like the lost student in me would need to hear. And you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours watching classes and videos and whatnot. We're not talking like, no. you know, spending copious amounts of time preparing. It, it yeah. I, I can imagine that like your lessons My, are probably like so- very succinct and everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and it's uh, so each of my modules, I started out with an overview video where I'm telling them what they're going to learn. And mm-hmm. then I end them with the insider tips. Like this is what the labor nurse really wants you to know about it. Yeah. And then the, the module or the lessons are anywhere from six to 20 minute video. They can also listen to it. Audio. We, we my uh, course program comes on and like, they can download the app and do it. Their partner can log into the app and, they can skip parts that aren't revel- relevant to them. Mm-hmm. So let's say she joins at, in her third trimester. She loves her provider. Super happy. She doesn't have to do navigating your early pregnancy choices. Mm-hmm. Like choosing a provider. You can skip that. So they can do all of it in less than six hours, probably a lot less than that. That's yeah. just being generous. And then, or they can skip some of the stuff and do it less, like the real nitty gritty, like less than four hours. Mm-hmm. And- you know, I feel like we made it very engaging for the most part. It's that, like I said, those videos, and then we have like graphics and slides where they're just listening to me. So they can look over if they need to look at it, but I'm just, I'm definitely, I homeschooled for a lot of years. So I learned with my own children that some of mm-hmm. them learned visually, some of them learned audibly, some of them. I, and we also have a 94 page ebook that goes with it so they can actually write things out and take notes. Yeah. We give them birth mantras, we give them tip sheets, labor positions, you know, so a, mm-hmm. you know, just however it is they learn then. Yeah. You know, like if I were taking it, I probably would listen to it in the car, like a podcast almost Yeah, because yeah. I definitely like that uh, way. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, everybody learns differently and then we meet weekly so that when that weird thing comes up that you weren't prepared for, you can talk about it with us. And if I don't know, cause there's sometimes, I don't know, Yeah, but, you know, a lot of moms have these like weird autoimmune disorders or what have you. And, mm-hmm. um, so then I can do some research and reach out to yeah. the professionals I know, and I'll get back to you or connect you. Like if my mom comes and says like, I'm not sleeping, then I can say, oh, you need to talk to Eva or what have yeah. you. So it's just a really great resource, the um, happy hour. I feel like that, I know a lot of the other educators in my space, the online educators, and I know for a fact that I'm the only one
0: who offers this aspect. Yeah. And that's gold. It's worth its weight yeah. in gold. Just yeah. having that, as, that, just having that access to you and the community and for that kind yeah. of support. Yeah. I think it's, it's massive. Oh my gosh, this has been amazing. Okay. So where can everyone find you? Um, if they want more of you in their life, what's your, your website, your social, where are you at? So
1: the website is labornursemama.com. And mm-hmm. then our, my handle on Instagram is labor.nurse.mama. I think it's the same on like TikTok and maybe some of the other ones. But if you look up Labor Nurse Mama. Okay. And then we also have the podcast, The Birth Experience with Labor mm-hmm. Nurse Mama, which I had Eva on. Yes. Great if episode. you want to hear
0: about that crazy birth story that uh, where I was literally knocking down someone, making me go to the waiting room about yeah. to give birth. And there were threats. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There were legal threats made. You you got it. You got to listen to that. that it's
1: great. So yeah. So you can find me there as well. And we are venturing into YouTube. That's a new, new. Awesome. Um, country.
0: So. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Trisha. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend who can benefit from it. I also love hearing from my listeners, so feel free to DM me on Instagram at mysleepingbaby or send me an email at eva at mysleepingbaby.com. Until next time, have a wonderful, restful night.